Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unplugged by Good Bets, where we provide the latest tips, strategies, and straightforward advice to underdog entrepreneurs and anyone who wants to leave a legacy by launching and growing a thriving social enterprise. I'm Nicole Jarbo from the Good Bets Group, and I'll be your host as we dive into the world of successful social entrepreneurship. Our episodes will be a hodgepodge. Some days we'll answer your most urgent startup questions, and others will interview founders you should know but we'll always provide practical and unfiltered advice to help you build a better venture faster. Hey everyone, welcome to this next episode of Good Bets Unplugged. We've been on a hiatus for a while, apologize for that, trying to get through 2020, but I'm excited to have a very, very special guest with us today, someone I've known for a long time, really respect and am inspired by, Hassan Hassan, the CEO of 4.0. Hey Hassan, how are you doing? What's up, Jarbo? Uh, today, I'm going, doing really, really well. Um, and I got to say, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of you. I'm a fan of Good Bets. And I'm a fan of this podcast. So I feel like I made it, Jarbo. This is, this is great. Uh, this yep. is an honor. You made it. My mom is out there <laughs> listening very hard to this podcast, maybe. Um, <laughs> Shout out to mom. <laughs> so also what's kind of funny is we were just having a conversation and then I totally flipped into like podcaster mode. I was like, oh, that was awkward. <laughs> but um, anyways, I'm like a podcaster it. again. I'm shaking off the dust. All right. So let's just jump in. So tell the folks who don't know you who you are and what do you do? Sure. Uh, so, yep. As, as you said, my name is Hassan. Um, I am an immigrant. I moved here to the U.S. Uh, about 16 years ago with my mom. Um, and that was a result of uh, her uh, winning the diversity uh, immigration lottery, which afforded me um, opportunities um, that even my siblings didn't have access to because they were older and didn't make the cutoff age. Um, so, you know, really in many ways, like I'm not supposed to be here. Um, but you know, it was sacrifices um, um, that of people like my mother, um, like my father, who was an immigrant himself, um, that paved the way for me to be here. Um, and, you know, right now, my role is the CEO of 4.0. Um, it's a community that means a lot to me. You and I are alumni of this community. Um, and, you know, what what inspires me about the work that I do today is we are really on a mission to do two things. We are first in a mission to move money um, earlier um, to the people who are typically um, excluded from the process of innovation in education, even though they are the people who have the ideas that we need to change what school could look like. And then the second part of the mission is to build power, to recognize that history has shown us time and, time and again that social change happens when power um, is renegotiated and shifted. And for me, um, what inspires me every day to do my work is to shift the power again um, closer to the people who are in communities already trying to improve um, their um, 
their own life conditions and have the visions for themselves um, that they um, are trying to pursue for, uh, for their communities. Awesome. So let's, let's sort of rewind then. So you immigrated sure. here. Where did you immigrate from? Uh, from so I'm originally from Sudan. In fact, you know this. Um, it's a couple in a couple hours from now. I'm, I'm actually going to be on a flight back to Sudan to uh, be closer to family um, and and just care care for my parents. Uh, so that's where I'm uh, originally from. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my my dad is an immigrant as well. So he actually uh, at a young age also immigrated to um, the Sultanate of Oman where um, I was born and lived um, the majority of my um, early life. So, you know, I, when I first immigrated here to the U.S., I, I immigrated from Oman to Milwaukee, um, which was really my first introduction to the United States. That's where I got onboarded. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that, right? <laughs> I, didn't, I thought I knew that you were in Iowa. I think you're in Iowa, yeah. right? Yeah, I didn't. So you got my 515. Uh, you know, Milwaukee's, <laughs> Milwaukee is great in the summertime. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that's really interesting. I like promised you we're like going to stay on topic today, but I'm going to veer <laughs> off just a little bit. Um, sure. I'm curious, how was that transition, um, you know, going through the lottery process? Like you said, it was, it was basically luck, right? So getting this opportunity, being able to come to the States, did you know what the U.S. was about? Did you have an idea or a vision in your head of what it would be like to be in the United States? Yeah, I mean, I had an idea. I don't know if it was accurate. You know, I had watched Bad Boys, you know what I mean? I, 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 like, when I was a kid, all I wanted, so I had two loves as a kid, uh, Arsenal, and you know, you and I like to talk about soccer, like that's my, yep. that's my first love. You know, and my second love was Tupac. Like, and just all I wanted to be was Tupac when I grew up. So, like, my 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 idea of the United States was listening to Tupac and watching Bad Boys. Um, so that was the idea that I had. And you can imagine coming to Milwaukee and then going to Iowa, kind of like help reshape that idea yeah. um, that I had. <laughs> um, but you know, I guess what 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 always what I always knew was, you know, the, the idea, right, of the promise that, of the American dream that, um, you know, is, is definitely a strong brand of the United States outside of this country. Um, and really over the past 16 years, um, going through my own, like, learning and unlearning process to, um, to, to you know, believe, to understand, like, the power of that promise. Um, um, as well as the fragility of it and how we must really all work um, to, to be able to hopefully someday uh, um, actually uh, attain it. Yeah. I mean, I, we have to do a longer episode where we talk about your background more because I am super interested in this and I'm sure a lot of other people are. But I think that brings us to a perfect segue to talk about 4.0, right? This idea of the yeah. American promise, um, what's possible for people building power. And so let's dig into the organization. You told us a little bit what it, about what it does, but how did you initially get involved? Yeah. So it was honestly meeting people like you, uh, Jarbo. Like when I first 
the first time um, I um, heard about 4.0 um, was at the time I was taking part in a, uh, a fellowship uh, through Education Pioneers, which is this amazing organization that really works to um, share, like create pathways for people like me um, who started in, uh, in the private sector. Um, my, my background, uh, I studied engineering and I thought I wanted to, you know, just basically build wealth, do what I can to honor, again, um, the sacrifice and build on what, what my parents um, had, had built to, to, make, to make it possible for me to be where I am. Uh, but Education Pioneers, like really helped create a pathway for me to, uh, first of all, even just recognize and believe that I might have, uh, there might be a place from somebody like me with my own lived experiences, my own technical experiences that I had um, uh, started to develop in the private sector uh, to be able to contribute uh, to the work um, that many, many leaders way before me have been working to make, um, to like actually work in the, in, like the institution uh, of education that is supposed to um, fulfill this American dream, this, this American promise. So, you know, when I first heard of 4.0, I, um, I, I just remember that similar feeling, having come, coming to 4.0, meeting you, um, meeting uh, Matt Candler, who's the founder of the organization. And like the first thing that just struck me was everybody was honest about what they don't know um, and also are open about sharing what makes them who they are. Um, so again, it was kind of this like humanizing like uh, feeling that for me just felt very uh, attractive and, and rare at the time because I was, I was still going through so much imposter syndrome being coming into the education sector and feeling like, you know, I, I maybe still don't belong here. Um, and, and I just kind of kept hanging around. So I participated in uh, the programming with 4.0 and uh, over time ended up uh, joining the team full time, had a bunch of roles within the organization. Um, and then uh, about two years ago, um, ended up going through a succession process uh, where I um, um, finally transitioned to the role of the CEO. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I don't even know when we met, but I was hanging around 4.0 for a long time. And I think one of, similar to you, you know, one of the reasons, um, that I was drawn to it is that there was such a focus on community and incorporating and elevating voices from the community. And some people who are familiar with the organization might know that Matt Candler, the founder, um, previously worked at KIPP and some other charter organizations really early in the charter movement when it was starting to gain a lot of steam. And so, you know, his focus was really on, on growth and those sorts of, um, you know, those sorts of facets that the charter movement now is really, really well known for. But I always looked at 4.0 as in some ways a, a project to try to right the wrongs of the initial charter movement which really did not make a lot of room for community participation. You know, I think early on places tried to, especially in places like Milwaukee, when there's like Bayo and all these other organizations that wanted to uplift community voice, but 
I think Matt really had, um, really saw this as an opportunity to bring in innovation, design thinking, um, bring in more agency, and actually push those opportunities towards the community in a really cool way so that they could become builders, right? And that was more egalitarian. So that was one of the things I've always appreciated about it. And so tell us then, you know, I think 4.0 is in its 10th year of operation this year. Yeah. Oh, that's a long time. All right. So <laughs> 10 years, what's new, you know, what's new and what has remained the same from when you got involved um, early on? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with what's still true. Um, what's still true is we still have a fundamental belief uh, that genius is evenly distributed that people already have the power to understand, have, be their own experts in their own experience that they are having right now and have the power to actually change um, um, their uh, own life conditions and manifest the vision that they have for themselves. The problem that we're here to solve is the problem of um, access to dollars and decisions. So actually recognizing that um, there are systemic barriers um, that stops people, communities from being able to manifest those visions. And our job is to basically, like you said, right these wrongs, actually just uh, eliminate these barriers one by one. So my first letter to, to the 4.0 alumni when I took over as CEO was, First, we're going to be real. Like, I'm going to be real with you and be honest um, that, you know, the, that we are, like, we, we are here to actually right a wrong, that we are, um, we are the people who are going to, uh, who, who, who need to basically tap into our, our inherent power to, um, to actually imagine uh, a world that just hasn't existed before. And for me, that, like, leads to the second promise, which is we're also going to be unreal. No one has seen a truly equitable future. Um, so it really is on us to be able to live in that imaginary, um, to, to actually like write our, uh, ourselves uh, into the future, to borrow the words of Adrian Marie uh, Brown. Um, like we, again, we, we just the act of imagining is actually a, a revolutionary act uh, because it it assumes that you have uh, a, a positive vision of yourself, of your people um, in the future. And for me, 4.0 will continue, you know, to be a space for you um, to be unreal and to spend time thinking about what the what our future could look like. Um, What's, what's different and what we're working to, to, to build, uh, how I'm trying to build on the legacy of the organization is to, to really, again, just be clear, plain spoken about power and its role in our ability to create change. Um, you know, um, the, like for me, you know, when I first joined 4.0, we would talk about moving away from doing reform to families, 
doing reform on behalf of youth and families and moving to a world where we're doing reform with families. And I, and I think while that's a step uh, in the right direction, where we need to really go is for reform transformation to be actually have, uh, to be taking place by uh, youth and families. Um, and again, really pushing ourselves to question why is it right now that we need someone else from the outside to be able to um, part, like to, to be able to actually kickstart and uh, accelerate this process of, of uh, reform, innovation, entrepreneurship, you know, uh, change. Um, like we, we need to question the ideas that we might be holding uh, about ourselves and the power that we uh, we have. We need to question the ideas that we have about youth, young people, uh, their own desires uh, for education and school to be different. Um, um, and, and, and then again, m make active choices um, in the way that we design our investments, our programs to, um, to be in congruence with, with these beliefs and these ideas that we have. Uh, so I can share with you a couple of projects that I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, well, don't, don't go there yet because I, I want to recap, make sure that, um, you know, we're clear. So you you brought up this, and I've seen this too, and I actually really appreciate you taking it one step further, but moving from doing reform to families or on behalf of communities and families to doing it with. And when I got involved in 4.0, that was really one of the core messages. Um, and it's actually really funny because now that seems so tame and, and actually just really conservative, you know, um, to go where, and now to go where you want to go with, where it's about empowering communities and bringing them the infrastructure so they can actually lead the innovation, right? Is that right? Absolutely. And, okay. and again, like going back to the Alice Walker, you know, quote, like bit, one of the like, primary ways that we give up power is by um, believing that we don't have any. So again, mm -hmm. it's about just recognizing we already have uh, the power. We already have the desire. Um, and it's about making sure, again, that we are understanding right now, like what are the barriers? Uh, what are the deals? <laughs> what are the terms of the negotiation of the, uh, that we've negotiated into the current uh, uh, social contract? Um, and then renegotiating them. Yep. And I want to be, I want this to be crystal clear for folks because I think a lot sure. of the ideas you're talking about, um, while they're really familiar to you in the community, seem really new and revolutionary to other folks. And so I want to narrow in on four questions that you talk about all the time that you've told me sure. many times really guide your thinking for what the future of 4.0 looks like. So would you share a little bit about those? Absolutely. Uh, before I do that, I just feel like it's important to quickly share. I'm still a student of this. I'm, I'm a student of power, uh, Jarbo. You know this. There are many teachers that I learn from, including you. So I just want to say that for the record. But the four, the four questions that um, animate how I think about our work at 4.0. Uh, first, who gets funded right now? 
um, who writes the checks right now, who defines success right now, and who wields power, like real power in terms of making decisions uh, and creating policies. Um, and, and just being, again, really honest and, and clear like, about each of those questions. They are all who questions because, you know, ultimately, you know, it is like power systems are made up of people. So, you know, if we look at it right now, who gets funded? Um, we have more than enough data at this point to confirm and affirm what we already know, which is it typically goes to people who are already proximate to the investors and the funders. So it's people who um, are already part of formal and informal networks that are, uh, that are you know, connected to philanthropic foundations. Um, and again, they tend to be white. They tend to be, um, you know, 20 to um, uh, 50 something. Uh, they tend to be college educated. They tend to uh, have well, what you know, kind have of colleges? Income. What kind of colleges? <laughs> Great distinctions, mostly Ivy, obviously, um, and 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 then again, like this is just this should just be like these are this should be just like putting a mirror and being really clear and honest about the current uh, uh, the current understanding of, of who gets funded right now, even within 4.0. You know, when I when I, in my class. Uh, within within 4.0, um, I was the only black person um, in my cohort. And today, you know, we're at a place where 70% of all of our um, uh, fellows um, are uh, people of color, um, as well as uh, people who identify as women or, or gender non-binary, uh, which is for me, a move in the right direction. But again, mostly college educated, you know, a specific uh, socioeconomic um, um, status and you know we're we're not seeing um, uh, young people. We're not seeing you know like the the level of diversity that we really need to be able to see um, um, to be able to actually make the like back up the belief and the claim that we say, which is genius is evenly distributed. But if it if it, if we really believe that, then our fellowship should be representative. Um, and and again, being really. Um, honest that the problem is that is then with us and the way that we have designed our our system and our and our, and our um, uh, the access to these opportunities both as 4.0 as well as as a broader um, sector. Right. So we've talked this about the first question. Right. So we've talked about who is receiving the money. Right. So who gets the checks? Yeah. Who receives these? Yeah. Um, the second question you said is who writes them? So talk to talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. If I ask you right now, who, who is a philanthropist? And I just give you a couple of seconds to think through. Yeah. <laughs> I can, <laughs> do you want to answer that or not? I'm sure. sure I, I mean, up. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think the, the first reaction is uh, Bill Gates and then, you know, billionaires more broadly. Right. And, and in a lot of cases, we know these folks aren't giving directly, but are directing the giving. Um, right. And, you know, that just affirms, like you're saying, who actually gets gets funded. Right. People who look like their children, people who share things in common with folks who are wealthy or sort of ultra um, high net worth. Absolutely. 
And so there's, there's this one idea, right, that we can choose to believe um, to say, in order for you to become a philanthropist, in, in order to write the checks, in, in order to be able to influence, you know, what innovation in education could look like by becoming an education philanthropist, you have to be really, you know, you have to first like have a head start. Um, you have to be able to create a lot of wealth, typically in the private sector. You have to create a foundation. You have to then uh, hire a lot of program officers, and then you have to then give your wealth. And that's one idea. And I would say the data that we have, like, so, like there's definitely data to support to support that. And what we also know, a different idea is, you know, there there like black families in the U.S. Um, give 11 billion um, a year to um, in charitable giving. Just to put that in perspective, the entire uh, philanthropic giving and education is somewhere between two billion uh, to five billion. Um, so we can we can clearly say, and, and two thirds of, of black families uh, uh, um, give each year. So that we we can we can we, we can actually design um, um, a infrastructure to say to say actually we want to tap into a different um, a group of philanthropists who have different values, who have different uh, aspirations, who have different uh, beliefs, uh, who, if we do the actual work as the sector of education philanthropy and organize and create, create, um, opportunity, like create the actual infrastructure for them to be, uh, to be able to um, uh, fund the um, ventures, the ideas that they believe in, um, that would be, I think we would have very, very different, um, very different solutions being funded, very different people who are getting funded. Um, and, and that was, that is how, again, we're thinking about our work here within 4.0 is how do we be clear about what ideas do we really believe? Um, and then create structures to, um, accelerate um, um, and those accelerate those um, um, those systems. Yeah. So, and it goes back to what we talked about before: is 4.0 seeing you know this new and renewed kind of role around building the systems and structures in which this participation can become you know, almost frictionless, right? Because there's so much friction in between people who are historically disempowered, um, feeling empowered and getting to make choices. So I love that. But enough theory about this. What are you doing? So let's focus on the first two questions. What is 4.0 doing to start to test the waters, to start to really see if these theories and ideas can, can hold weight? Absolutely. So earlier I mentioned um, uh, I'm a student of power and I have teachers that I learned from. So one teacher that I learned from is Caroline Hill, uh, founder of 228 Accelerator, who's on the board of 4.0. And she always, you know, pushes my thinking around, you know, design, to design uh, for uh, the margin and really be really clear in saying, you know, when you look at the dominant system right now, who is it really disenfranchising? Who is it really marginalizing? 
Um, and again, if you believe that uh, every person has inherent power, design a system that works for them, and it's most likely that you're going to be able to, to um, um, create a system that works for, um, for everyone. So in the first question of who gets funding today, we're trying to push ourselves as an organization to answer the question, why aren't we say, seeing more youth, more young people uh, participate in our fellowships? And um, the project, one project that we are excited to be able to, um, you know, uh, to, to launch um, this coming school year is a project where a group of high school students in New Orleans are going to be receiving $50 every week for the duration of the school year, no strings attached, and really just trusting them to be able to use these funds to improve their own learning experience, however they see fit. And what we're hoping to learn from this project is one like what like what is well how can we create again this investment structure that is as frictionless as possible to your to your point Jarbo like by just literally cut the check don't do anything else just cut the check um, and two like are we really 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 willing as adults to trust young people um, so. Every time we talk about this idea, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes a lot of adults uncomfortable. And I actually think that's the point uh, because we, we are uncomfortable because as adults, we typically are the ones uh, who um, have power over young people and their learning experience. And I think in this project, we're trying to see what would it feel like to have the youth actually be more comfortable uh, than the adults, and again, test the question of like, are we willing to really trust uh, them to tell us how to spend the money uh, and how to uh, improve their own uh, high school experience? Um, and we're learning again from a lot of other projects that have existed uh, before us and that are happening right now um, around cash transfers, guaranteed income, um, again, these ideas are not new. Uh, in many ways, we're just trying to help amplify them and, and, and contextualize them to, to um, the sector that we know um, and apply them, uh, adapt them to education. Uh, but that's our goal, is to be able to show a very different model of philanthropy, education philanthropy specifically, where high school students, young people, get cash and use it to improve their own learning experience. Awesome. And what about the second question? So who's doing the funding? What are you guys doing in that area? Absolutely. So we're launching uh, a project called the Angel Syndicate. And at its simplest, it is a community and a masterclass for Black leaders who want to develop their network, their skills, and their identities as philanthropists. Like I said earlier, we've always been philanthropists. Uh, maybe we haven't called ourselves that, um, but it's actually 
you know, giving circles, susus, sandooks, as like my mom would call it in Sudan. These are models that are that have existed for generations uh, in communities of color, indigenous communities, um, and many, many more. And we want to again create um, a model that shows that we actually are we you know we might not be billionaires but we have resources and if we organize our money if we organize our resources we um can contribute to this field of philanthropy and fund ideas that maybe traditional philanthropy is not willing to fund um or will end up funding with different terms uh than what we need uh so this project i gotta tell you job i mean you know this this is this is a passion project for me. Like it's personal because I really believe that it is again like to to back to the mission of 4.0. Like it's, it allows us to move money and fund an agenda that truly is one that we that that like reflects the aspirations, the goals that we have uh, for ourselves, um, uh, and, and be able to cut these checks. At very, very, with very, very different terms uh, than what traditional philanthropy um, does. And also, just by, by the act of giving together, by the act of coordinating our funds, by the act of co-investing with each other, we're building power. Um, we are showing, we are changing the narrative by saying, actually, you don't have to be, you don't have to have program officer in your LinkedIn um, title to be uh, to be in the field of philanthropy. You don't have to be a billionaire, you know, to start a foundation to then be um, called a philanthropy. You don't have to be high net worth individual um, to, to uh, be able to, to do that. Um, you know, we're gonna, as long as in this first pilot, um, we are starting with 20 to 40 black leaders. The application is open right now. Uh, it's actually due uh, by July 24th, 2020. So y'all, depending on when you hear this, make sure you, you apply. Um, but really like the, the only requirements that we uh, are asking is one, you identify as black. Two, you uh, are ready to give a thousand dollars. And we are starting at that, uh, at that amount because, you know, again, our vision, our hope is that a minimum, uh, like a thousand dollars a year, you know, translates to 80, 80 bucks a month about that, uh, or about 40 bucks every, every, um, two weeks, uh, for those of us who get, uh, a, a regular paycheck every, every two weeks. It's not, it's, it's, it's real, it's, it's real money, uh, but it's, it's hopefully it's going to be able to reach and be accessible to a much larger group. Um, and then the, the only other requirements is you want to learn um, and develop new skills and relationships and you, you want to do it in a community uh, of other black leaders. So you have to be willing to invest in a donation, $1,000. You got to be willing to learn and you got to be black. Why do you have to be black? Like, why, do you, why, why does that feel important right now? Um, and yeah, just, I mean, just tell us a little bit more about that. To borrow the title of Arlen Hamilton's book, because it's about that time, Jarvo. <laughs> um, for, I mean, even just thinking about it in the context of this country, 400 years. 
has been the high the, the period in this country where black communities have been disinvested in and in from from me it is important in a in this moment to be able to acknowledge the reality just tell the truth which is right now the education system education philanthropy consistently disenfranchises black youth and families so if we're going to be creating uh, a new model of uh, uh, a new community in this uh, specific context is angel syndicate the people who should seed this community should be the people who were marginalized systemically since uh, um, um, for 400 years. And for me, our vision is this Angel Syndicate community is going to grow to 4,000 people um, in four years. I have sincere dreams and hope that it will be diverse, that it would in every possible um, uh, social identity marker, geography, um, you know, professional background, um, issue areas and, and passion areas. Um, but for me, you know, and also just to be really like, but for me to be able to, to really lead this with authenticity as a, as, as a black man, um, I have to start with, uh, what I know, I have to start with what is, uh, where I've seen, what I believe personally, uh, we have um, um, uh, committed as a country the biggest wrong um, as we are trying to create this community to, to, to write it. Gotcha. So it's, right now you're just feeling like it's a path forward, right? And it means, um, you know, I just think there's probably not a better time to center this, you know, considering the current climate. And I think we can all act like we've been invested in some of these issues. But I think the truth is, is most of this country has not been invested, you know, in moving towards a more equitable, anti-racist and just society. And so it sounds like you're saying that the intention is to start there um, and have some of the folks leading this work be some of the people who've been, you know, most disenfranchised because of their racial identity. All right, cool. So I'm very curious then, you know, this is, you mentioned that the application is open and people should apply by July 24th at fund4.co and we'll put that in the, the show notes so folks can see that. Um, but I want to I wanna shift gears a little bit as we think about closing out this conversation. You know, currently, like, what's keeping you up at night? And this can be related to the work that you're doing or not. But as you think about, you know, your own leadership journey um, and trying to usher in a new way of thinking about this work and how we shift power, specifically in K-12 education, what's on your mind? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm trying to sleep better, Jarvis. I'm trying to like not have a lot of things keeping me up at night <laughs> yeah. if possible. <laughs> I mean, uh, so maybe if I have if I can have the liberty, I'm gonna shift the question to what gives me hope right now. Um and honestly, you know what what gives me hope is is being able to have these conversations with leaders like you, uh, with, you know, mentors um, like, uh, you know, um, Aaron Walker at Camelback uh, Ventures, Caroline Hell at, at 228, um, who, you know, are, are basically showing that like are basically like right now being like finally let me say, let me say it this way like between covid-19 between the um protest that we that has been capturing the attention and the imagination of uh the country and the world um it's just it, it, the truth is undeniable at this point. It is in front of us. <laughs> it is hard to ignore, and it's making a lot, a lot of people uncomfortable who used to be comfortable. And it's finally making a lot of people who have been uncomfortable trying to like yell um, in in the loudest possible voice. Like they're finally. Um, you know, getting the attention um, that that um, is deserved. So for me, you know, as I'm, you know, as I'm going back, you know, right now to like spend some time with my family as I'm working with you in these projects, you know, the like for me, the, like the conversations that we're having right now are, you know, we would have to basically be ta talking about. Um, in closed doors, usually with, you know, like communities that are um, like, uh, that are uh, like basically with only with other people of color. And I'm seeing those conversations happen more openly and more predominantly, like in, in, in the more dominant channels uh, and getting the attention um, that they've always um, deserved, and I think that just gives me gives me hope and inspiration that you know we as the current generation of leaders who are again building on the leadership of of so many before us um, might like have the duty right now to be able to just make sure that these conversations never go back behind closed doors um, and continue to be front and center and, and part of the agenda that uh everybody's talking about yeah i like i like that question better <laughs> what gives you hope <laughs> i mean that's really great i think it's it, it does say something that we can even talk about these issues um in an open forum so i definitely agree agree with that um all right so as we close out i'm very curious you know, you mentioned a couple of great thinkers and mentors that you've been leaning on, but what 
what inspires you and what do you encourage us to read or learn more about or watch or perhaps think more about as we think about shifting power to folks who have traditionally not had any access to it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here's the greatest hit. Tupac, you know, you know, I, I mean when I say it. <laughs> everybody should, who's listening, who's still listening to this, go to YouTube, Google. There's an interview by Tupac as a 16-year-old, I believe. Um, just, you know, he was, uh, you know, at the time uh, trying to audition for an acting job. And, you know, I, I just love that like watching that inter- like that interview I-, I watched it every every few months because you know it just like when when you when you watch that interview knowing everything you know of um where i uh, the person that he became uh, who, who like who became after uh, as he grew up like imagine if that person if that young Tupac had you know the type of resources you know like if, if we had just invested directly in him in that moment how differently you know how different would his life have been if we had just invested directly in him um knowing everything that we know about just like his genius uh his influence um i love that video and i think there are so many like like these young people are like they're here you know like they're like you know when i like like when when i it's, it's the it's the stories that we have in our, like, and see every single day in our schools, in our families. And for me, like, when I think about that project of, like, um, cash transfer directly to, to high school students, um, that's what makes it a no-brainer for me as an investment because, you know, we, like, our young people have always, especially the ones who have, um, um, have lived in poverty, um, um, not because of any um, like any uh, fault of their own character or their family's character. It's really again because of systemic barriers that has um, uh, um, faced them at every single step, and they've been able to um, um, overcome it at every single step. Like, imagine if we had just invested directly in them. So anyway, I think that's enough of a plug. Go watch it. And then, <laughs> you know, in terms of actual books, Decolonizing Wealth by Edgar Villanueva, um, Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown, Give People Money. Um, these have all just been books that have really helped reshape my thinking um, uh, in my work here at 4.0. Awesome. And we could talk much, much longer but we actually can't today. <laughs> so tell us where can people learn more about you or learn more about the angel syndicate that 4.0 is running? Absolutely. So um, we are, um, you can find 4.0 um, at 4PT0 schools, at all the social networks on the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the Instagram and all of the, you know, channels that young people, because uh, I guess we're not young people anymore, uh, Jarbo, uh, can go to. Uh, so that's where we're at. But specifically for the Angel Syndicate, please go to fundfor.co um, and apply again by uh, Friday, July 24th um, to be part of 
what I hope would be um, an entirely different um, model of philanthropy and education that can someday replace um, and, and transform what this sector could look like. Awesome. And how can people who don't identify as Black be involved in the syndicate or support the efforts um, of the group? Absolutely. The best way to support right now is to help match and amplify the funds of the Black leaders who are going to be part of this first cohort. In the future, again, in, in future rounds, we're going to be opening up the eligibility criteria uh, to uh, be to include um, everyone. Um, and as we grow to this vision of 4,000 angels, but right now, we would love for you to support in that way, which is, you know, each of the Black leaders are going to be given $1,000 of their own money to invest, and each of you can help amplify, uh, amplify their, their giving. Um, and you can donate, you can go to fundforward.co um, and donate there. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to just hang out with me and have this conversation. Um, for everybody listening, everything that Haas had mentioned, we're going to put in the show notes so you can check out the, the Tupac interview that we all need to watch. <laughs> if you haven't, I have watched it. It is incredible, but I'm going to watch it again because Hassan told me to. Um, Hassan, thank you so much for just joining me and having this combo. And, um, you know, I hope everything goes well on your very long flight. <laughs> and uh, I will you. talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Jarbo. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or an idea for a show? email us at hello at goodbets.co with unplugged in the subject line. If you want to learn more about GoodBets Group and our work, then visit us at goodbets.co. That's G-O-O-D-B-E-T-S dot C-O. Till next time.